0: I wanted to jump into my message this morning. uh, I'm going to read you my text verse first, and it's from Matthew 11 and verse 11. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The title of my message today is called The Goat. Uh, the young people get that. Some of us older ones or middle-aged and older might not get it. Um, it's very important that you understand that the, the word the is there. If you are a goat, that is not a good thing. That means you were caught eating grass or, or you uh, have horns coming out of your head. That is, you don't want to be a goat. That's a negative term. In fact, Jesus even talks about goats, in, in I think, in Matthew 25. He talks about at the day of judgment, the goats will be separated from the sheep. The sheep get to go with him, and the goats go to eternal judgment also known as the Lake of Fire. That's not what you want. You don't want to be a GOAT. But if you're the GOAT, that's a good thing because that is actually an acronym that stands for greatest of all time. And uh, that's a new thing that's come up fairly recently that everybody talks about the GOAT. In fact, my my daughter, one day, I, I helped her with some of her math homework that she was struggling with and had a test the next day. And the next day she took her test and she came home and she said, Dad, I got an A on my test and it's because you helped me. You're the GOAT. And I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we love to argue about what's the greatest in, in many different aspects, about sports teams and, and things we love, and we love to argue and, and, and debate about the things that we love. And just to start off today, just on a kind of a fun note, we, I have some uh, some split screens up there I'm going to throw up, and things that you will recognize quickly as things that we like to argue about who's the greatest. So go ahead and put the first one up. So that, that's a common argument, the greatest golfer of all time. Is it Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods? and. Everybody has a strong opinion about it, you know, and, um, I'm, I'm partial to Jack Nicholas. He's an Ohio state guy and that's my old stomping ground. So I do love, love Jack. Uh, my wife has a strong opinion about that. She would say, I don't care. So, um, and a lot of you may not care. Uh, what's the next one? Put the next one up for us. Ooh, iPhone versus Android. Ooh, I'm pretty sure churches have split over this one. Uh, people that love their iPhone, if you, if you talk bad about Apple, oh, it's, it's on. It is on. Uh, what's the next one? Coke versus Pepsi. Now, we all know in the South, if you love Jesus, you drink Coke. That's, that's just the way it is. Coke's based out of Atlanta, and everybody knows where Coke's based out of. Nobody knows where Pepsi started because um, we love that it's in the South. I'm originally from the North. I grew up on Pepsi, but I do love Coke now. Okay, the next one target versus walmart yeah all the men are saying neither they they take half of our paycheck every week amen men um you know walmart's a little cheaper target's a little nicer so you have that battle but anyway it doesn't really matter at the end of the day right next one finally oh facebook and instagram yeah the the uh the over uh 50 crowd is all facebook the under 30 crowd is all instagram all right um, i 've I've said they should combine them and, and call it instaface but they don 't they don't like that so um, but anyway, that was just for fun to start out. but you know we, we do like to, to talk about what we think is the greatest well i 'm here to tell you today that, that god 's desire for us is that we would be great too. He created us to be great. in fact, the Bible says we were created in his image he doesn 't create anything that 's not great yeah. and uh, but we have this notion sometimes in the church that we, can't really, we don't really want to talk like that because you know a good, humble Christian is, is just kind of you know, head down lowly and, and, and humble and meek and mild, and we don't want to talk about being great. But the truth remains that Jesus actually, that verse I read, Jesus bragged about the greatness of John the Baptist. So if Jesus is bragging about John, how much more would you think he wants to brag about us? He wants us to be great. Now, now the, the problem we get into is that when we talk about greatness, it's easy for us to, to look at the world's measuring stick for greatness. But how many of you know? God's measuring stick for greatness is a lot different than the world's. He's not looking for us to be great according to how the world would say greatness is. In fact, I want to I give you the first the, the things that that the world says are great. I heard a preacher talk about this one time. He talked about the four the four standards that the world uses. They all start with P. And uh, the first one is that the the, fir, the first thing that the, the world uses as a measuring stick is power. Which that goes to the things that you can control or dominate. Somebody with power that has a lot of influence over a lot of people. You know, a politician or a CEO of a company. You know, those people are great because they have so much power. And they can make people do whatever they want and then control people. And that's what, that's what determines greatness. Uh, the next one is prestige. You know, if you have those accolades that you have, that can, that can mean that you're great. You know, if you have a lot of degrees, if you have an MBA or a couple of doctorates or a master's or, you know, the letters that come after your name make you really great. And uh, those things are good to have, but that's not the same thing that God uses to, to, to consider us great. Uh, the third one is position, just where you are in life. You know, if you, if you have a great job and, and you're, you, know, you have a great family that's strong and, and uh, you have a lot of influence in your community, that, that can mean that you're really great according to the world. And then the final one is possessions, and this is the one we can all relate to. That, you know, the world tells you if you're rich and you can, if you don't have to shop at Walmart or Target, you're really great, you know. If you, can, if you can go to those really expensive places and you can buy all the expensive things, you have the big house and you have a, a boat and a Mercedes and all these things, that, that's really what makes you great. And the world sees it that way and we know it. And I think sometimes we can, if we're not careful, we can slip into that, that mindset and into that trap. But God's, God's measuring stick is completely different than the measuring stick that the world uses. And I want to show you that today in scripture. We're going to look at the life of John the Baptist to see why Jesus said that, that he was the greatest among men that had been born. Uh and to do the, to start with that, I wanted to give you a verse in Luke twenty-two, but before I do, I want to kind of set the stage for you here. Um this is referring to the Passover or the um the Last Supper. You know, Jesus took his disciples into the room and they, they had this last meal together. Jesus was about to be betrayed that evening. And he said, uh that they took communion, you know, he gave them the bread and said, This is my body that's been broken for you. He gave him the cup, said this is my blood that's been poured out for you. And and he said, you know, I'm going to be betrayed tonight and, and, uh, hand over to the Romans and they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. And he's telling them this whole story, the gospel story. And, uh, it's obviously a very emotional time for these disciples. They've been with him for three years and he's been doing all these miracles. Now they're here and all of a sudden it's going to come to an abrupt end tonight. And, uh, so we'll pick it up in chapter 22, verses 21 to 26. Jesus said, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Now, this is such an odd sequence of events. And if you and you probably read this many times. And as you read it over, you could just kind of go through it and not even really think about this. But Jesus is literally telling them what's about to happen. Like the, the greatest event, the history of the world. And within minutes, the disciples are arguing about who of them is the greatest. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, I, I just see Jesus sitting back thinking, what are you guys doing? <laughs> We're talking about, you know, the death, my death, my crucifixion and all of this. And you guys are worried about who's the greatest? I don't even know how they got to that point. You know, it says they started by asking each other, like, who do you think it is? You know, you think it's Peter? And Peter's going, man, it's not me. I walked on water. You know, I'm, I'm great. I love Jesus. And, uh, and there's, they're talking about who it might be. And next thing you know, they're saying, no, I'm better than you. No, I'm the greatest. I don't even know how they got to that place. You know, and, and I, I just find that so odd to think that they would get that that discussion would come out of what Jesus had just told them about what's going to happen. And uh, the interesting thing about all that is that you, if you notice, Jesus doesn't condemn them for wanting to talk about who's the greatest. You know, Jesus didn't cut them off and say, listen, guys, this is not a conversation for today. I'm talking about getting, getting crucified here, and you guys are talking about being great. He doesn't condemn them for it. He doesn't even rebuke them for it. He actually just goes ahead and uses it as a teaching moment and says, okay, you want to know about who's the greatest? I'm going to tell you. And that's the part in that verse that I highlighted. He said, instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules should be like the one who serves. What he was telling them is that if you want to be great... You can't use the measuring stick the world uses. My measuring stick is different. He, I see, he says, I want you to be like the youngest. I want you to be like the one who has to serve, the servant. And when he's talking about the youngest here, he's talking about this could be, um, you could refer to children even in, this, in what he's saying here. And, you know, children back in this, in this day in the culture, they did not have rights. They didn't have status. They didn't run the households. I know today in our culture, the kids can kind of run the house. They, they tell us where we're going to go eat. They tell us what we're going to watch on TV. They tell us what movies to go to. The kids, are, kids have some power today. Uh, the movie makers know it because if they want to make a ton of money, they make a movie about what the kids want to see because the parents will take them. And uh, we're all guilty of that. I've done it too. But, but back, in, back in this day, the kids, they were, nothing, they were just considered property. They were to be seen and not heard and not even seen a whole lot. Um, and so for Jesus to say, like, you need to be like that, like you need to be like the youngest, the one that has no rights, no standing, no nothing. You're just here to serve the needs of people. And that's what will make you great. And I think it's really amazing that Jesus went to that length to say that I want you to be like the youngest. And, uh, and we know that Jesus modeled that example for us. He even said, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. He laid down his life for us. The price he paid for us was so great. I think it's okay for him to ask us to do that for him too. Amen. And that, that was his, that was his uh, response to that argument that the disciples had. And, and so I would just make the statement today that greatness for a Christian is about why you do what you do and who you do it for. It's about why you do what you do. It's not important what you do. It's not about having the stuff or, or having the position or the prestige or the power, but it's why you do what you do. It's the, the purpose that God has given you in life, fulfilling that purpose. John the Baptist had his purpose that God had called him to. He walked that out and he was great for it. And that's what God has called us as Christians to do. Our motive for why we do what we do is not to gain the power or the prestige or the possessions, even though sometimes Christians get that. I'm, I'm all about Christian being in politics and, and being wealthy and having the things that God would want. That God blesses people to, to be a blessing to others. And so it's not bad to have those things, but that's not what makes those people great. What makes them great is the motivation, what motivates us to do the things that we do. And so I want to give you four principles Uh, from john the baptist that that lead or that that speak to greatness in our lives principles that that we can apply to our lives that will make us great okay and and i hope you know my heart when i'm talking about being great it's not a you know it's it's about the greatness that god talks about about serving others and about living for him so the first one let me get right into it the first one is salvation now this one's obvious for those of us that have been saved but you know you can't be great if you're not saved you just can't because the call of all of our lives is to be saved right The call on every one of our lives is to come to a knowledge, a saving grace knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That's the first thing the most important thing by far that we as human beings are called to greatness is to uh, receive the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our lives. And I know a lot of us, we know that, we walk in it, we have an understanding of the fact that we are not going to be good enough on our own. No matter how good we are, we're never good enough to walk in that, uh, to, to, be, to be able to make our own way into the presence of God or into heaven. And uh, I, I just want to just take a moment here to encourage all of you today. If, if any of you are uh, backslidden, maybe you're, you don't even know why you're here today, maybe you, uh, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, I'm so thankful you're here today. All of us that are part of the family of God are thankful that you're here today because this is the, a place we believe that you can experience the love of God in your life. And, uh, and we want you to know that God loves you and that it's, it's not worth taking even one more day to wait to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Uh, there's nothing in life that, that has any value or any purpose outside of living our lives for Jesus and knowing that we are in him and that we're going to be with him one day when we die. And uh, it, it's what makes this life, when we have that perspective, it makes this life. So um, it gives us perspective on, on what's important in life. And I just want to encourage you in that today. Don't leave here today without giving your heart to Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, we'll have a time here at the end where you can come up and there's somebody up here that will pray with you um, and, and help you to walk that out because it's, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. So after, uh, after salvation, the second one is humility. So this is one that, that we as, as Christians, we, we, can, we deal with on a daily basis. Walking in humility and understanding what true humility is. And John the Baptist understood what what humility was. In fact, he says in Mark 1, verses 7 to 8, this is John the Baptist. It says, And this was his message After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is pretty amazing. And I've. I've thought about this verse many, many times in my life and never really took the time to study it, but it's always uh, confused me why John would say like, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Uh, I would have thought he would have said, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. You know, you'd say, I'm, I'm not even good enough to tie that guy's shoes, but he's saying I'm not even worthy to untie them. So I, I did some study on it. Um, and, and what I found was that in the, in the day, rabbis would teach their followers, their their servants, anybody that they were, they were over, they would teach them and say, basically, like, there is nothing that I may not require you to do. I may require you to do anything. They would, they would ask them to do menial tasks. They would ask them to do all kinds of stuff that would kind of elevate their position over them, but also just to, to help make sure that they were submitted to them and that they were willing to learn from them and they were honoring their teacher, their rabbi. But the only thing they would never make one of their servants or their followers do is untie their sandals. Because that was too lowly of a position for even their followers to do. So a rabbi would say, you don't have to do that. Everything else is, is, is on the table, but untying my sandals is off limits. And so John comes in here and he says, and he knew that, that custom of the day and the people he was talking to knew it. And he says, not only is Jesus better than me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not, the, the, the lowest place that a servant would have for a teacher would be that they were too good to untie the sandals. John's saying, I'm not even that good. I'm so far below that I can't even reach the, the status of being able to untie his sandals. And that is such a powerful statement. We're talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about the guy he was prophesied about. Isaiah prophesied about him that there's going to be a voice in the desert crying, uh, prepare ye the way for the Lord. He was prophesied about by Isaiah, and he knew it. And so he's, he could have very easily been like, yeah, I'm, I'm the man. That guy Isaiah was talking about, that's me. I'm pretty great. You know, Jesus is a little better than me, but I'm still pretty good. And people were always asking him, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And he always said, nope, nope, not me. And he finally got frustrated and he said, listen, not only am I not he, I can't even untie his sandals. And the reason John was able to say that was because he understood the greatness of his God. He understood the greatness of his God. And church, I think that's something we in the church sometimes can struggle with. Because especially, you know, we get saved, we love Jesus. And we, you know, we worship today when we were worshiping and we were singing, holy is the Lord. Man, I felt, I felt a a heaviness on me and an impression on me that he is, he is so, so holy. And I'm so, I so don't measure up. None of us will ever measure up. And to have that revelation, it's not a thing of, oh, woe is me, I'm terrible. It's a revelation of, oh my goodness, you're that great. You're that holy, yet you still love me yet you still came and you died for me. The Bible says, while I was still a sinner, you came and paid the price for me. That's, that's how we can walk in humility is knowing and understanding that the greatness of our God is so much greater than anything we could ever attain or even come close to, but that he would still love us. There's no other choice but to walk in humility and to be able to say, thank you, Jesus, to live our lives completely humble, surrendered to him. I think the pride that comes in a Christian's life, we don't, we don't struggle with the pride you see in some of the people on TV and some of the politicians who just, they flaunt it. It oozes off of them. They think they're better than you, and they know it, and they, you know, they dress in the finest stuff. And the, the basketball players, the football players, they just, you can tell they just think they're so great because they've achieved these great things. And there's such an arrogance that, that pours out of people in society today. Us Christians don't do that. We know better than that, don't we? So that's not the pride we deal with. The pride we deal with is not seeing the separation between us and God, how great it really is. How much better he is than anything we could ever attain to. And thinking that, you know, I can get upset if God doesn't do something the way I want him to do it. That's, that's pride in our lives. Yeah. To, to get mad at God because he didn't do something the way I asked him to do it. Like, God, I prayed about this and you didn't do it. And then we, I hear people say it all the time, church. And, and some of you have probably said it to me that, you know, I'm just angry with God. I don't understand that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't get it. I don't understand how we can be angry with a God that is so infinitely better than me, but yet he still comes and he still gives me life and he still loves me and he still made a way for me to be with him. I don't understand. No matter what happens to me here, I don't understand that. I don't, I've had things in my life not happen the way I wanted them to. You know, most of you know, my mom passed away about a year ago and we prayed and we believed for healing. We went through a lot with her. And when when she passed away, I, I didn't have one moment of anger at God. Not one, because it was like, God, thank you for the 44 years you gave me with her. There's always something to be thankful for. And I'm not here to beat anybody up. If you're angry with God today, it, this, is not a, this is not something to beat you up or say you shouldn't be angry with God. Because we're all at different places. But when you have that revelation of who he is and the greatness of God, it, it doesn't, you, that anger goes away. Because you realize, if he did what, what I deserve, I'd be squashed like a grape. You know? And so when we, are, when we struggle with that and we're angry with God, there, there's a grace for us there. There's, there's, oh, God never turns his back on us and says, how dare you be angry with me? That's not what God is doing. He's always there to us, and he's waiting for us to—he to, wants us to have that revelation of who he is so we, would, so we would be able to walk in that and understand that and walk in that humility that he calls us to live in. You know, James 4 has the scariest line in all the Bible. It said, God's, God opposes the proud. God actually stands against and turns and opposes pride in our lives and those areas that we're that we have pride we're dealing with he opposes that but the next line in the bible is one of the best lines in the whole bible it says but he gives grace to the humble so he's always looking for us to to walk away from that pride and be humble and trust him and then when as soon as when we do that we see his grace poured out in our lives I think we we struggle with um Not wanting to let God in every area of our life, I think that's another area of pride that we as Christians struggle with. You know, we want God to save us. We want Him to. uh, We want Him to be part of the areas of our life that we want Him in. We want Him to. We definitely want Him for our, our physical healing. You know, we want Him in our. We want Him to be Lord over our bodies and things like that. But. But there's other areas that we don't really let him in, you know, like God, thank you for, you know, being this, but I don't want you to mess with, you know, my, my TV schedule, my Netflix schedule, the movies I watch or, or the things that I look at on the computer. Like, I'm not giving that to you. That's, that's not, you're not allowed in that area. You know, it, it, that's, that's pride in our lives. It's saying, God, I don't need you in this area because I, I just want to do this. Pride is a lack of understanding of how much we need him. It's basically what that is. And, uh, and that's just, that's, it can be scary for us. And as a church, it's important that we make the, the efforts, the intentional efforts to make sure we're walking in that humility and saying, God, I don't see my need for you in every area. I want you to help me. And the beauty is that God always answers that prayer. He will show you how much you need him if you cry out to him and ask him, because that's his desire is to show us how much we need him. And he'll do it for us. Okay, so the next one, the third one is submission to God. And this goes to humility. Humility. God is always wanting us to be submitted. Um, going back to John the Baptist, okay? Um, there's, a, there's a part in John 3 where uh, these guys come to John, and they say, Hey, you know that, that Jesus that you baptized a little while ago? He's, he's on the other side of the Jordan right now because there's plenty of water over there too. He's over on the other side, and he's baptizing people too. And a lot of people are going to him. Like, he's, he's taking your business, John. And, uh, and here's John's response to it. It says in verse 27... To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. That's very, very freeing. To be able to say, I can only receive what God's given me. There's there's no pressure on me to be somebody I'm not. There's no pressure on me to try to do something I'm not called to do. I'm just doing what I'm called to do. That's a man that's free. There's nothing more free than knowing what you're called to do and walking in it. And not having to get outside of that or try to be more than what you are. And then in verse 30, he says this. He must become greater, I must become less. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I pray it all the time because there's still lots and lots and lots of me. (laughs) There is lots of me. And it wants to continue to grow if we'll allow it. But these these guys were trying to poke John. They were trying to say, hey, you know, that guy you you baptized, he's, he's doing this too now. And John's saying, great, that's exactly what I wanted. Think about this, John's life... Was actually drawing, it was pushing people to Jesus. And I would ask you today, is your life pushing people to Jesus? John's was. He, the ministry, the work he was doing was actually causing people to go to Jesus. It was growing the kingdom of God because of what he was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, single-handedly or personally bringing people into the kingdom of God, but he was leading people to Jesus who were, who were getting brought into the kingdom of God. And, and it challenges me because I want to know, does my life lead people? Does it push people to Jesus? Is every area of my life push do? People that know me say, man, I, I want what Reagan has. Does it draw people to want to be like Jesus? Or does it make people say, you know, that Reagan, he's a Christian, but if that's what a Christian is, I don't need it. Where, which one are we? I think sometimes we fluctuate depending on the day of the week, right? Or depending on what's going on in our life but our lives should be pushing people to Jesus and growing the ministry of Jesus. Jesus ministry was growing because of John. And so if we're doing what, what we are called to do, if we're walking in that full submission to God, we're actually growing the ministry of Jesus. That's what we want. Like new hope is a ministry of Jesus. We want to grow this ministry. We don't, we don't care about having people in the seats just to fill up a church. We want people in the seats because we want, we want the ministry of Jesus to grow. We want his impact to grow. We want his kingdom to grow. And when people are here, we believe they're growing in the kingdom of God. And if our life is pushing people towards that, then we are being great in in Jesus' eyes. We are being great because we are leading people to him. And I believe that so much of the trouble in our lives is because we don't understand this. About being fully submitted in every area of our life. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I think it causes us to make a lot of bad decisions. There's decisions... We're all guilty of this. I've made decisions where I've only prayed a little bit because I was afraid if I prayed too much, God might tell me something I don't want. Anybody else ever done that? I'm the only unspiritual one in here, I guess. Um, but we've all done it. And then you end down the road, you realize, ooh, that was a mistake. Okay, God, bail me out. And he's so full of grace, he, he bails us out. He helps us out. But that we get into trouble because we're not submitting all of our things, all of our decisions, all of our hopes, all of our dreams. We're not submitting them to him. We want what we want, and we hope that he'll just bless it. You know, I would even go as far as to say fear in our in the life of a Christian and, and lots and lots and lots of people struggle with fear and anxiety, whatever way it manifests in your life. The things we fear, whether it's about our finances, about our health, our relationships, our future, our kids' future, our kids' health, those areas where we struggle with fear, the root of that is because we have not submitted that to God. We haven't fully submitted it to God. Because you cannot be fearful about something that you know is not in your hands, but it's in God's hands. Because God always does what's best in a situation. So we can't fear. Fear has to go. Fear trembles at the sound of Jesus' name. We sang that song today. It literally trembles. Fear has no place with God. And so when we submit ourselves and the things of our life to God... Whatever area you struggle with, if you'll submit that to him, and you might say, well, I've done that. I've tried, I say, Lord, you know, I trust you with my finances, and yet I continue to worry about money. That's because you're not really trusting him. You want to, and you're trying, but you haven't really been able to actually just let go and say, okay, God, I do give it to you, and I trust you. Because when we do, there's no place for fear, because the light has come in. And so it doesn't allow it for us. God's way is not necessarily always the easiest way. And when we're submitted to him, we find that out quickly. Amen? John? John called out King Herod because the king had actually taken his own brother's wife, stole her from him. How, how, how good of a, with a brother like that, you don't need enemies. I can tell you that. And he, he took the wife and John called him out for it. He said, it is not right that you have taken your brother's wife. And Herod was king and he could do whatever he wanted. He said, fine, I'll put you in prison. So John was in prison for it because he was submitted to the Lord to doing what was not the easy, the easy road would have been to just kind of talk about him behind his back. But he actually called him out on it. And Herod put him in prison. So so being submitted to God doesn't always mean everything's just going to be, you're just going to float through life. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do is to be submitted to him. But I want to be like John where I'm not going to compromise who I am or my faith just because I don't want to have any hard times come upon me in my life. You will have to choose every day to submit. The flesh will never, ever, ever give up. We'll never just reach that point of, I'm submitted now. I'm good. There's always something that wants to rise up and cause us not to be submitted. Even John, I'm going back to John the Baptist again. When he was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, Hey, John wants to know, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? John was struggling with doubt while he was in prison. He wasn't fully submitted at that point. So I'm encouraged by that. The guy that Jesus said, No one greater has ever been born, is saying, uh, Are you the one? This is the guy that literally baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove. Heard a voice in heaven saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. This is long before they had big boombox intercom systems where somebody could have faked that. This was legit the voice of God in heaven saying, this is my son. He heard that and literally later, not too long later, he's saying, hey, are you the one or should we ask for someone else? So if John can struggle, we can struggle. But I praise God that like Jesus' response to that was not, would you go tell John? He's the one that baptized me, you know, slap him upside the head and rebuke him. He said, just go tell him. You see the lame walk and the blind see? The dead are raised. He just spoke truth to it. He didn't rebuke him. Jesus always has grace for us when we're struggling because we're never going to be perfect. All right, so I'll move on quickly. The last one is servanthood. John the Baptist lived a life serving Jesus by serving others. He knew what servanthood was. He knew that living a life of servanthood... Is paramount to the Christian life. And if you want to be considered great in God's eyes, there's no way to be great in God's eyes without serving. Not just like serving on occasion in a church or something like that, but living a lifestyle of serving others. Paul said that we are to consider others better than ourselves, consider others' needs before our own. Uh, Some of you may remember Jack Haynes. He's been here. He used to come all the time. He's a pastor in Australia. He's originally from Arizona. He's written some books and really wonderful, wonderful man very missional minded. And he, he preached a sermon here one time and he said, you know, the, the one word that, uh, that means more to God than anything else in our lives is others. Our call in life is to serve others, to live our lives for others. That's what God has called us to, to live that life of servanthood for other people. Uh, a verse, the verse in Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27, this is actually Jesus speaking. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever want, wants to be first must be your slave. That's the words of Jesus. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. Take the low position, take the lowly position and you will be great. The, the dream team banquet tonight that we're doing, that's a way for us as a church to honor and celebrate those who have served Jesus by serving others. And that's why we're so excited about it. it, it this, is, this is a great night. Um, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a financial investment for the church. It's a time investment for the staff. But we love it because it's because it's a no, it's a way we know we get to honor you for serving Jesus by serving others in this church, and we're so thankful for it. and uh, And and you get it if you if you live a life to serve others, you understand what that means. But you know when I when we when we talk about servanthood, and, and you know the Bible's pretty clear that God calls us to that to 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 live a life of servanthood, and. I'm just, I'm an, I'm an inquisitive person. I like to ask myself questions. When I read the Bible, I like to ask questions. And I think, I've asked myself, why is God so emphatic about serving others? You know, why, why can't we, you know, like do it every once in a while just to be nice, but just kind of live our life and take care of our family and, and do the things we should do? Why is he so emphatic that we have to like lay down our lives for others in service? And, and I believe he showed me um, a while ago that the reason he's so emphatic about it is because servanthood and laying down a life is what brought the gospel to this earth. And it's also what's going to spread the gospel across the earth. That's the way God has designed it. And so, uh, to me, that answers my question. Enough said God said it. I believe it. Okay. And, uh, for some of us, though, that may not be enough, you know, we may, well, that's, that's fine and good, but, but what's, what is, uh, what is the driving force behind that? And I just think that it's, it's the whole reason where we, we were created. It's the purpose God has given us. And Jesus himself, I mean, the, the, the God of the universe, you know, took off his heavenly robe and put on flesh and came down and dwelt with us. And that was a whole, that was a, that was a life of servanthood that he lived serving us as, as humans, as people. And he's saying, now you go and do likewise. He's, he's encouraging us to do what he's done because we are all, the purpose for each one of us in our life is to draw people to Jesus. That is the purpose in every one of our lives. And sometimes we like to get, we can get caught up in our own lives and the things we have to do. And we forget that our purpose is to draw people to Jesus. It's to glorify God and draw people to him. You know, we talk about God's will and everybody wants to know God's will for their life. And that's a, that's a natural thing. That's a, that's a common thing. We all want to know that. But this is one of those things that this is God's will for everyone's life is to live that life of purpose that would draw people to Jesus. Because that's why we're here. If, if, if life was just about getting saved, Pastor Bowen said this many times, if it was just about getting saved, as soon as we got saved, we'd be whisked off into heaven. But it's not. The salvation that we experience, that love of God we experience is so that we can share it. And the way to do that is by serving others. Because there is something about when we serve, when, when someone puts your needs ahead of their own, I don't have to tell you what it does in your heart. You know, it doesn't, when it's a spouse, it's really wonderful. If it's a kid, it about knocks you over because you just about can't believe it. If it's your child, especially, um, but when somebody does something for you where you can tell like, yep, they put my needs ahead of their own, it just melts your heart. You know, the, the hardness breaks off and it causes you to, to, to be softened and want to, want to do something back for that person, you know, or it, it it just, it, 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 encourages so many wonderful things. Well, how much more is that true when we as believers are doing those things for people, but we're doing it under the influence and the power of the Holy spirit and it's causing people, it's drawing people to Jesus. Yeah. That's the whole intent. That's, that's exactly what John the Baptist was doing. And that's why he was considered great, because he literally laid down his life. He, he lived a life of eating uh, wild honey and locusts. I don't know if anybody's ever eaten a locust in here, but I have no desire to do that. And he didn't either, I'm sure. He did this because he was living that life of, of servitude, and, and it's just the way God had called him. He was living in the desert. He had a, a, His jacket was made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. I mean, he looked like I'm sure he was a sight when people saw him. He didn't have to do that, but he was fulfilling God's purpose in his life and he was walking in that. And for that reason, God blessed him and called him great. And I believe with all my heart that being great is about knowing your purpose and walking in it. It really is. It's about knowing the purpose God has for you. That is what makes us great. And you know, the opposite of that is true as well, that if we don't really understand what our purpose is, we don't understand the concept of living our life in service, and serving others and preferring others and putting other people's needs ahead of our own on a regular basis. If we don't understand that, it's impossible to really understand God's purpose for your life or it's, it's really difficult to live that life because you're too focused on your own goals. Because that's just the default for us is to focus on our goals and our, our plans that we have in life of getting from point A to point B in life and, and making all of our energy, putting all our energy towards those things. That's just the, that's the default reaction for all of us. So if we don't understand the heart of God behind servanthood... And live in that lifestyle, then we're basically going to live our life to service our own goals. And we may sprinkle in a few things here or there, but not really live in that lifestyle. But if we want to be great, then we are, then God calls us to do that. So if, for God's measuring stick, for us to be great, these are, it's not exhaustive obviously, but it it starts with salvation, and it goes to humility, submitting to God, and living a life of servanthood. Those four things, we can all do those four things, amen? And I know, I know this is a challenge to us today because none of us completely measure up. Like I, I hope that encourages you to even see John the Baptist. He did not measure up. He had doubt and um, uh, he had his struggles as well. But the, the, the fact remains that these are the measuring sticks that God uses for us and we can all strive for these things. We can, we can commit ourselves to these things in our life, to walking in humility and, and submission and servanthood. And, uh, and if we do that, then, then we will be great. And, and that's a good thing. It's okay to want to be great because God made us that way. So as I, as I close, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as the, the, the worship team comes. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come too. I want to encourage you today to be great. Can you say that with me? Be great. It's okay to want to be great. I'm, I'm never going to be a, a, a great athlete, a great scholar, a great politician. That's all okay. I want to be great in his eyes, not anybody else's. And he, 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 he makes it pretty easy for us. He actually did all the work for us. All we really have to do is surrender to him, surrender to it, and walk with him and trust him. And we can be great. We can be great tomorrow. We can be great the next day. And when we are great, the kingdom of God is advanced. It's advanced. And that should be all of our hearts. I want to encourage you today, too, that, that uh, mediocrity is an enemy of great. We should never settle for being mediocre, especially as a Christian. We should never settle for just being a, an average Christian. I'm putting that in quotes because that really doesn't exist, but I think you know what I'm saying. Just being someone that's just okay with kind of just getting by, but not really... Uh, living a life dedicated to the principles of the Lord that He would call us to don 't be mediocre don 't settle for it don 't settle for mediocrity. The uh, bosses and managers in a business don 't don 't like to elevate mediocre employees and, uh, and we don 't want to be mediocre Christians in our life either. We want to be great i 'm encouraging you in that today and, and uh, i 'm going to pray for all of us uh, before we uh, before we move any further. And then uh, if you do want to come up to the altar, you can come and these, these prayer leaders will pray for you this morning or you can just spend some time here at the altar. Um, but I'm going to pray for each one of us that God would help us. So if you guys would, would pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you today that you've called us to greatness. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace, but even that is only because of what you've done for us. Thank you for paying the ultimate price. Thank you for making a way for us. And God, I thank you that today that each and every one of us can be great. By your measuring stick, Lord, we can be great. I pray that we would model the life that you've laid out for us, that we would live that life that you've laid out, that you you set the standard, you made a way, you showed us how to do it, and I pray you'd help us to walk in it. God, I pray for anyone in this room today that, Lord, that, that... that would say if they're honest that they're, they're mad at you or they're angry with you. God, I pray that you would melt their heart. God, I pray that you would help them to see your great love for each and every one of them. That, you didn't, that you're not mad, that you haven't forgotten them, that you haven't turned to the side, but that you are right there with them. And whatever pain they're dealing with, that you are right there going through that pain with them. And God, I pray you'd melt their heart with your love. Help us all to see your love in a greater way. To see the greatness of our God. And yet, as great as you are, that you've made yourself like us, that you've come down to minister to us, God. What an awesome privilege it is to know you and to be called your children. To be able to say, yes, I am a child of God. What a privilege today, Lord. Help us all to strive for that greatness that you call us to in life. Break down the walls that are keeping us from walking in humility and submission and servanthood. And for those that may not know you at all, God, I pray you would break down those walls too. We thank you today for your love, your mercy and your grace in our lives. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.